Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Head to Grapevine. Hello, Chris. Hey, Jim. How are you, sir? Wonderful. How about you? Good. We actually met several years ago uh, when I used to work for James Hardy um, a long, long time ago at a trade show. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I had a question for you, sir. I'm looking at building a house, um, and I've been checking out some of the new homes under construction around Grapevine, and I'm seeing a new practice. Uh, back in the day, when we would do training for installers or, or contractors, we always talked about creating an envelope in the house, and we would use the hardy uh, continuous soffit, vented soffit, and a ridge right. vent as like kind of the best practice. Yes. Um, but I'm seeing now... Some of the new construction contractors are creating an envelope all the way up to underneath the roof decking and putting spray foam all the way up there and, and enveloping the whole area. And I was I was curious at uh, what your thoughts are if that ends up not allowing enough ventilation in the house to breathe or if you think that is a better practice from a new construction perspective versus remodeling. If they were building in Minnesota, it's a great practice. Uh, building it that way here in Texas is not real bright. And, and the reason oh. I say that, your air conditioning system becomes the only key thing that can bring fresh air in. In fact, they have to literally put a fresh air intake to bring fresh air into the house. A house has to be able to breathe. And if it doesn't breathe, you start getting what's called sick home syndrome. And the way you can tell your house is starting to get this, you'll start getting uh, mildews and molds building up around windowsills and places like that. And it, right. it's it's simply because the the house isn't uh, circulating fresh air in it. And right. granted, the air conditioning system can do it. But now you're depending on that thing being on all the time. And at this time of year and in the fall, they're not on all the time. In fact, a lot of times it's quite comfortable in our homes without having anything on. And okay. we're, so we're just better off to, to leave it breathable. All right. So the best practices from 20 years ago have not changed. We still they really have not. the interior area and, and use the soffit and the ridge vent and let just let it do it naturally and heat yep. rise and cool fall, all that stuff. Okay. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. Well, hey, I appreciate your advice, sir. Thank you much. Take care. Okay. And, you know, what you'll find is a lot of the builders are doing this because they've been sold a bill of goods by the manufacturers of these spray foams and things like that. And don't get me wrong. I love spray foam insulation. Inch for inch, it gives you the best R value available. But what they're being told is, oh, yeah, you can close this, and it, it puts your air conditioning unit in the attic in air-conditioned space, so it's going to operate more efficiently and all that. That unit's not built to be in air-conditioned space. It doesn't know the difference. It doesn't care. And no, it's not going to operate more efficiently. You need to let the attic breathe like it was being done, like he said, 20 years ago. Uh, and you'll have a much more comfortable home and less expensive because 
whether you put a spray foam insulation on the roof deck that's an R39 or you put fiberglass insulation or Milo insulation or cellulose insulation on the attic floor at R39, it's still just R39. And the R value is what dictates how much electricity you're using. Why take the chance of having the house sweat inside because it's sealed up too tight? And that's really what we're talking about. That's that is literally what starts happening. So, no, my in in my opinion, I just I would not do that. Uh, and and I, I will tell you a story. I had a. Uh, I call him a nephew, but it's my cousin's son. He built a house in Buda, Texas. And the builder insisted on doing that. He wasn't in the house six months. And they started having to tear stuff out and redo it simply because it was caught having all these issues. And it was because they sealed up the envelope on the in the roof with all the spray foam insulation and stuff. It, it's Again, it's not that it's a bad product. It's how it's being applied we don't need to seal the houses that tight here. That's a great Minnesota trade, but not here in Texas. Joe in Dallas, what can I do for you? Good afternoon, Jim. Listen to you both Saturday and Sunday as often as possible. Well, thank uh, you. When hiring, uh, when hiring a general contractor, what kind of uh, insurance should I uh, be asking uh, about? Uh, the very first one is general liability insurance. That way, if, if something terrible happens, say the, the house burns down, they, they've got coverage for that. Uh, the secondary one is going to be workers' compensation. That way, if somebody gets injured, they're not coming back and suing you. They're covered under workers' comp. And those are those are going to be your your big ones that you got to have. Now, some places go beyond and start asking for vehicle insurance and and things like that. But the general liability and workers' comps are really the ones that are protecting you. All right, thank you very much, and have a great Easter weekend. You, hey Joe, one one other thing on these insurances, don't accept the insurance copy of the insurance policy from the contractor. He needs to have his insurance agent, or the insurance company, rather, send it to you. That's the norm. And the reason for that, some of these bootleg contractors, yeah, they'll take out a policy, cancel it a week later, but they continue to pass out those certificates. And uh -huh. by calling the insurance, or by having him call his insurance company and send it to you, then you, you, you get a notice if he cancels the policy or anything as well. All right. Thank you very much, Jim. And again, you bet. have a great have a you, great Easter week. You as well. Take care. And uh, honestly, people, that is a huge issue. Uh, you know, people do it with car insurance all the time as well. But uh, definitely, if if you're going to be uh, getting, if you're going to go through the hassle of getting the copy of the policy, you know, certificate of insurance, make sure it's coming from the insurance company. Uh, directly. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Just putting in a plug out there for parents. You know, if, if you've got uh, a son or a daughter who 
doesn't really want to be going to college, you need to encourage them to go into the trades. The, the, the plumbers, the AC technicians, and electricians, and, and people like that, uh, quite frankly, they're making every bit as much as the people who go to college nowadays. And a lot of times they're money ahead because they're not coming out with student loans. They're working four years earlier. Uh, it is a great way to make a living. And quite frankly, you work up into being a, a master plumber, a master electrician, uh, the license holder for AC. Uh, there's no reason you can't have your own business as well. And quite frankly, for a lot of people that get college degrees, that's never attainable. Not in the field that they went to college for. So just putting a little plug in there for the trades. Uh, I think you're going to see as time goes on, they will actually surpass the college degrees because everybody wants to go to college and, and get a degree. And we are falling behind on people to work the trades. So just a, a little side shot there if, if uh, something you want to take a look at. Norris, how are you? Oh, fine, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I had a question in reference to um, uh, vinyl plank flooring. I want to uh -huh. take a, one of the bedrooms, pick up the carpet, and underneath that carpet is the, the older um, wood flooring. So. Okay. I wanted to put down vinyl plank flooring and underlay it, but I was trying to get uh, a good brand to uh, to purchase. Uh, probably use the big box stores. Um, any recommendations? Yes, go over to Floor and Decor. Okay. Uh, for one, they're going to have a much better selection of stuff than the box stores do. Okay. Uh, everything's on hand, so you pick what you like, and you're able to walk out with it right then. Um, and they're going to have better choices when it comes to the underlayments and, and different things. So are you going to use a floor a uh, glue down, or do you want to have this as a floating floor? No, a floating floor. I don't want to glue it down. Excellent. Uh, because, yeah, floor and decor has uh, several different choices on the underlayments. And truthfully, what it comes down to is how much noise do you want it to make? Because they have some sound deadening underlayments that almost kill the sound completely. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm talking about, you know, like when you walk across the floor, you'll hear the click, click, click. And right. some of the, they got an underlayment that I'm just amazed. I, I don't, I truthfully don't understand how it works, but it it's virtually kills that noise. And uh, okay. they have some great products available there uh, that you could take a look at. Not only are they vinyl plank, but like if you're going to be in a kitchen area or want to run it into a bathroom area, they got waterproof ones that you can choose from as well. Okay. By chance, do you know the, the name of that underlayment or just ask them uh, reference to the underlayment that kind of deadens the, the sound? Oh, yeah. You can just ask. And they have displays set up throughout the store. Uh, where you okay. can actually drop golf balls on it to, to hear the difference. Okay. So, yeah, okay. it's easy to find. Are you aware of the uh, the Mohawk? I heard Mohawk yeah. uh, vinyl plank was pretty, pretty decent. You know, Mohawk makes some great carpets, but I have not truthfully heard a lot about their underlayments and, uh, and, and things for other okay. types of flooring. 
Okay. It, hey, one, and for all I know, it could be Mohawk that's making that soundproofing one. Because, like I said, I okay. I haven't checked out the the brand of it. Okay. Hey, one other question. Sure. If 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 the vinyl plank comes with uh, some type of pad or underlayment on it, shall I still use an underlayment on that on that floor along with that vinyl plank with the underlayment attached to it? That one will depend on the manufacturer's recommendations because you oh, definitely okay. want to make sure you follow their re installation recommendations okay. uh, because if something happens, you want to make sure it's under warranty. And if you don't follow the directions, it wouldn't be. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Take care, Norris. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and honestly, that goes with a lot of different things, but especially on flooring because we've got so much moisture in our soils that can come up through the uh, concrete and stuff, you want to always make sure to follow the manufacturer's recommended installation procedures. If you don't, they don't have to honor the warranties on it. And, and that, that, you know, that that's no different than uh, your car manufacturer. You go and change stuff. They don't necessarily cover the, the warranty on the, on the vehicle. So, you know, your flooring's the the same way. Let's head over to Hearst. Hello, Ed. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Wonderful. I've got a question. I hung up a flagpole in the mortar of my house using some of those uh, blue uh, uh, mortar screws. And yeah. some of that wind that we had in Dallas the other day sheared one of those screws off to where it's half in that mortar and half of it was on the ground. And I need to figure out how to get that other out of my mortar. Okay. Is any of it sticking out at all? No. Then no, it's not. Chances of getting it out are pretty slim then. Okay. Uh, more than likely what you'll have to do is just move over and install another one. Okay. I was hoping not to do that, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, I trust your judgment. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times people will try to re-drill re that hole and stuff, and, and you end up sliding off of that screw and drilling a new hole in the mortar, and it just becomes a big mess. So you're typically in that situation better off to just move over and reinstall. Okay. Um, uh, can I ask a, 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 a Jason Sure, go ahead. I, I wonder if there's something that I can do to help prevent the situation from happening again to make it more secure. Yes. In, instead of putting it in the mortar, put it in the brick itself. Now, okay. you've got to be a little more careful on the installation, but the mortar is very weak compared to the brick. Uh, and, of course, your situation wasn't that it pulled out of the mortar. It, it snapped it off. Uh, so by using a little bit heavier screw, it'll withstand higher winds. Okay, that's what I'll do. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. We'll be back in a moment with more Texas Home Improvement. going to head to the Galleria area. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Jim. I need a, a quick uh, tip. I hope you got a magic solution for me. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hang a, uh, a hose rack on the side of the building by the okay. water faucet and uh it's got a uh, real nice uh relatively new hardy installed and my stud finder just won't pick up where the studs are underneath that hardy and so 
I don't want to drill a bunch of experimental holes trying to find a stud. What what's the trick to finding studs underneath Hardy? Mm. Yeah, you, you know, your stud finder should still work underneath it. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure why it's not working, other than you may not just be getting where there is a nail head to to capture it. Um, so you're saying maybe if I move up and down a little bit instead of back and forth, that might do it. Yep. You know, go go up and down, go around in a circular motion as you're going up and down the wall. Yeah. And that will normally pin it for you. Now, okay. So it's I'm not a, the hardy. It's just uh, it's just finding a nail. Yes. Okay. Now there, there, I'll uh, give her a try. I'm gonna give you another trick though. Okay. Uh, because at this time of year, a lot of times if you get up early and you go outside when there is uh, uh, dew on the ground and stuff, if you look at a wall that has siding on it, you can see exactly where the studs are, because in between uh, the the sidings will tend to sweat, and it doesn't necessarily have to be James Hardy. It's it's uh, a lot of the different sidings. But each spot where the studs are typically stays dry, and so you can see exactly where the studs are in the early mornings. Okay. That's a, yeah, interesting. Thank you. Okay. All right. Have a good one. You too. And I, I see that a lot of times when I'm out on projects that, you know, just right after sunrise, you, you know, like right now, you, you'll see it at about 7, between 7 and 7.30. Zuri City, Ray, how are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Wonderful. Okay, I have two two issues. One is the lower half of my house is brick, and the upper half is a hardy plank, but it's not James Hardy plank. Uh, I repl- I have uh, hardy. Well, I have plank from uh, one of the big box stores. Uh huh. So every two years, I get mildew on the north side and the north side only, only the north side. Right. So I went to one of the big box stores and I purchased some uh, mildew resistant paint. Had it painted, but I still have the same problem. Okay. Any idea what's causing that or how I can eliminate it? Well, what typically causes it is uh, the the stuff that gets onto it. You know, the pollens, the uh-huh. the uh, pollutions in the air and all that stuff. And then just our high humidity starts to allow it to grow mildew that way. Uh, obviously, you can hit it with a pressure washer to take it off. Uh, but you can put a product like spray and forget or wet and forget on mm-hmm. there, and that will kill that stuff and typically keep it from coming back for a pretty good period of time. Uh, and that's a whole lot easier than having to periodically pressure wash it and stuff. Just hit it with that spray and forget and wet and forget uh, products, and you're done. Okay, I'll try that. And the other question is, I have a fireplace in my den, and it's uh, actually all brick all okay. the way up. And when I light the fireplace during the winter time, like if there's a gust of wind, uh-huh. smoke will blow back into the house. Right. So I, I went online. Well, I had a guy, a fireplace guy, come out and look at it, and he couldn't figure out what it was. 
So I found a guy in uh, Texas City, and he said the whole fireplace needs to be uh, taken down and rebuilt. But he only works in Texas City in the Galveston area. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Uh, yeah, because I offered him a thousand dollars to come. You know, yeah, to Ray, I, I need to put you on hold for a second. Let me come back and we'll discuss this fireplace uh, when I come back with more Texas home improvement. When we left, I was talking with uh, Ray in Missouri, Missouri City, and we were talking about a fireplace, and somebody told him tear it down and rebuild it, but. You know, that's uh, typically it's it can be a height issue, uh, but that doesn't require it to be tore down and rebuilt from the ground up. Uh, the The reason for the height issue is when you get stuff that's too close, it changes uh-huh. as the wind is coming across. It can change and push the wind up and down into the fireplace, uh, and that's where you end up getting smoke forcing backwards and in order to draw properly the chimney needs to be at least three feet above the peak of the roof uh so sometimes they're not high enough and that's where you run into an issue but like i said that shouldn't require it to be tore down all the way it may require it to be built up a little bit further but not tear it down okay i've looked at the height and the height it's probably I know it's more than six feet above the roof. Okay. And there's no big trees around or anything? Oh, no. They, I, I had all the trees uh, cut down. Okay. Then does it have a cap on it? Yes. I'm wondering if the cap's capturing the wind and pushing it down then. Uh, I don't know. That may be the issue. Yeah, because if you got the height, you got the distance away from everything... Uh, that, that's that's really all that's left to be causing the problem. Ron, this is Jim. How can I help? Yes, sir. Um, I had a new complete system installed May of last year on my air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And uh, can I say the brand name, or would you rather I didn't? No, no, go ahead. Okay, it was a train. I went with you know what I thought was probably the best equipment. Uh, performs fine, cools real good, works good, heated in the summer. Switch back over to the spring when it warms up, turns it on, and get a terrible stench, uh, a really mold, musty smell. Yeah, wet sock. Yeah, wet sock, like that. Yep. Uh, And anyhow, long story short, I talked to the the, uh, folks that installed it. Actually, they came out to do a a winter checkup in January, and we had had a warm spell, and I turned it on. And it was terrible smell. So they went up and they sprayed a uh, bactericide on the coil. Right. And said that would be, you know, it would take care of it. Well, got cold again. Didn't turn it back on until about um, two weeks ago. And uh smell is still there. They came out and sprayed it a second time. And um, the smell is reduced, but it's still there and still bad. Now, I've already, they've already said that they were going to come out and, uh, uh, replace the coil uh, with a a uh, coated coil, and they seem to think that's going to cure the problem. My question is, I've never experienced this with any air conditioning. I'm almost 80 years old, uh-huh. and, and and I, I, I just boggles my mind why it's doing it. When uh, they put it in, did they do the heat load calculations and everything? 
They did. Uh, they did the um, on the neoplenum return air to make sure I had enough adequate flow mm-hmm. to to run the system. But as far as the heat load, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm just a three bedroom, one story house, so it shouldn't. I, mean, I don't. I don't know what the process would be. Well, the, the heat load. What they do is uh, the house's size is put into the computer system, the type of windows, the insulation, the way it faces, all this stuff goes into the program, and it spits out exactly what size AC unit is needed. And a lot of times people don't realize that just like lumber sizes have changed over the the years, the way a tonnage of air conditioning is measured has had minor changes over the years as well. And so a house that, how many square feet is your house? 1850, you said? Uh, 1,900 square feet. 1,900, okay. So years ago, the rule of thumb was, hey, for every 500 square foot of house, one ton of air conditioning, you got a 1,900 square foot house, we don't want to go under, so it's a four-ton unit. But nowadays, they run those heat load calculations because our building techniques have changed, and as, as people added insulation to an older home, changed out the windows from a single pane to a double pane, uh, to all these different things we've done, that house that needed four tons on the old rule of thumb now actually only needs three. And so it makes a huge difference because it makes a difference how long the system is running, how much humidity it pulls out of the air, uh, and all that stuff. And what happens is if it doesn't stay on long enough to get the proper humidity out, you can start getting that, and it's, it's actually called wet sock syndrome, smell running through the house because it's holding too much moisture inside the system. So it's probably got not a thing to do with the system as much as it does the installation or not being sized properly. And my guess okay. is from uh, what's uh, do you know how many tons you have on this system? Four. Okay. Four tons. And how old a house? Uh, the house is built in 1973. It's a Tilson built home. Uh, okay. Brick, three bedroom, uh, just your standard 1970s. House really, um, it's been updated as far as uh, the interior, uh, you know, the painting and the countertops and what have you. But they still have the same old single pane windows. Okay. And the and the original installation, nothing's changed. Okay. Then my guess is they did something wrong on the installation process because you're right. A train is a great system, and you can have the best system in the world, but if it's not properly installed, you got a problem. So here's what I would do with what you've got. Let them come back out and take a look and and see about making the changes that they're suggesting. Because they may be doing something more than what they're telling you about. And if that doesn't fix it, then you call the manufacturer and get them involved. Because they'll come out and verify the installation is done correctly, that the sizing is correct, and all this stuff. And they'll put heat on the... uh, uh, company that did the installation work to make the proper changes. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Uh, the, the company that put it in has been in business a long time out here. A very reputable company. Sure. Uh, 
through it, you know. And and that's uh, the reason I'm saying give them the opportunity to fix it because quite frankly, uh, it it could be just a minor error on the an installation tech's side, and somebody from management comes out there and says, "Hey, no, we need to fix this," and it's done. Oh, okay. Well, I, that gives me a good uh, good thing to to check into and talk to my installer when he comes back out. But they, like I said, they're going to they've talked to the uh, manufacturer already, and the uh, the coil uh, they've had this problem. The, the coils, the newer coils, are so, so much thicker and denser, yep. and the fins are so much closer together that they're more prone yeah. to collect, uh, you know, bacteria. And so they've been uh, uh, taking the coil and and uh, powder coating them. Yep. To uh, to prevent the bacteria growth or you know retard it, and okay. that's their their current approach uh, that they're going to use. And, I would de- I would uh, definitely they- let them give that a try. Let's go to spring. Hello, Chris. I bought a house about four years ago, about two years prior to buying the home. The homeowners had a lot of pipes they had to have replaced under the foundation. Uh-huh. So they tunneled 40 feet of tunnels. Now I'm remodeling a bathroom. And when I take out the tub and look down through the hole through this lab for the waste and overflow, first it's holding water. Okay. But if I put my camera under there, I can see probably 10 feet by 6 feet wide where they apparently didn't backfill it correctly. Uh Uh-huh. And there's a void probably at least 20 inches deep. You can even see under one of the beams. So I had the foundation inspected by Knight Engineering in Humble, and the foundation is in good shape, but he recommended a flowable fill. But I haven't been able to locate anybody that would do that. Yeah, is that's there another because, option? Because nobody wants to tear your house up that way. <laughs> what um, are the other options? Well... When are there any peers supporting that foundation? He did not probe to see if there were peers. But okay. Basically, the foundation, the house is forty years old, was in excellent level condition, right? Right, but it won't stay that way if there's not something there to support it after having plumbing tunnels done. Right. Uh, you said this was done four years ago. No, it was done actually. 2017, I bought the house four years ago. Okay. Then chances are it's got to have some type of support under it. Otherwise, it would have already moved, uh, given the description you gave me. And uh, truthfully, if that's the case, if you do absolutely nothing, you will be fine. Uh, A lot of times people get uh, overhung up on these voids under the foundation, and engineers do as as well, uh, because people get upset and you know they don't know how to explain to them that it's not going to hurt anything if the foundation is being supported whether there's a one inch void under the foundation or a one foot or a two foot void if it's not touching it's not touching and so it it spans it just fine and i do tunnels all the time i raise houses up out of the flood waters and and things like that so uh, I mean, I've been doing tunnels since the early 80s, 
on foundations, and they span across it just fine. I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over that. The fact that it's got a 20-inch void definitely means it, it could be filled a little bit better, and in order to do that, they would have to open the tunnel up again and just refill it. I will guarantee you, though, it will have some void under it because it's impossible to fill it back as tight as it originally was, and that's the reason I was asking if it has any underpinning. I typically won't tunnel without putting underpinning in order to support the foundation because it is impossible to pack it all the way. I mean, we, we'll use pneumatic tampers and different things, but you still don't get it back like original. And as water right. does I do get in the soil, it will settle. So it doesn't hold the water. Well, that's why I, that's that what I'm saying. It'll it'll have to be dug out and repacked in order to do that. Okay, okay. But you'll you'll still end up with you know, typical is going to be like an eight to twelve inch void on the top, and you mentioned you got like a twenty inch. Yeah. But yeah. really, the only it's way is going to be to open it up and 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 re refill it. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. The now uh, let me let me t give you uh, also my explanation why I don't want you to put a flowable fill under there. You are basically putting a chunk of concrete under there when you put flowable fill, uh, because right. it, and what happens is that that blob can now be moved every time the soil conditions change. You know the moisture change, and that huge block of concrete can move that foundation up and down. Uh, secondary thing, if it ever uh, needs foundation repair, that blob is in the way. And there's Understood. just not a reason to put that. So if you want to fill it with something other than just filling it with soil again, uh, I'm going to give you some options. One, you can use a bentonite sand mixture. And that can be filled in there. It packs in tighter than regular sand does. The bentonite fills the voids. It gets a little pricey to to do it, but that fills the voids up better for you. The other thing is you can use a closed cell spray foam insulation. Again, it gets a little pricey, uh, but it does fill all the voids up. In my opinion, I've done both of these. Uh, the expense is not needed because, like I said, the void can be there. If you still have a moisture, you know, trapping water that way issue, you may want to consider just putting in a sump pit to capture the water and pump it out. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you very much, sir. You bet. Take care. All right. Bye. And <laughs> tunnels are used for foundation repair. They're used for replacing the plumbing and all that stuff. And honestly, I mean, like I said, I've been digging these things since the early 80s. And uh, they, they work wonderfully if done properly. And I don't mean just the backfill and everything. Uh, you, there's precautionary steps that need to be taken place during the digging process, like circulating air, things like that for safety reasons. But they definitely you know, want to fill them up. Now, some companies don't fill them at all. They actually just put a drainage system and, and keep them pumped out that way. I'm not a fan of that. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. 
For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.